This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Helen Tanner, who is the founder and CEO of Data Cubed. So, Helen, thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Good, good, good. So, um, look, I'm really excited about getting into this topic because it's um, something that's been pushed around and um, seems like it's been being pushed around for a long time, but still um, a lot of businesses kind of, you know, almost a bit of the holy grail. But before we get on to that, let's, um, can you just do us a favor and kind of give us a brief introduction into your background and your journey to date? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so my background, I started as a coder, working at the Met Office um, a long, long time ago. And um, um, part of my job was working in um, an an offshore team where um, part of my job was working offshore on weather boys, what boys were the you, I should add. And um, (laughs) these these weather weather boys off the the continental shelf of of the UK have got weather sensors all around them. And part of my job was being offshore, maybe kind of 40, 50 days a year, and changing the anemometers and the wind vanes and the temperature gauges and all those types of things on those weather boys. So it's a very, very strange first job. And then when I was back on land, uh, my, my job was analyzing the data from those weather boys. So very strange kind of start to my career. I thought that was normal when I started. Um, I did that for a while. Then I moved into the commercial part of the Met Office where I was selling and promoting weather services to retailers such as Sainsbury's and Tesco and, and the like, and, um, and to insurers as well. Like there's a really um, big correlation between supermarket sales and the weather. If you think a bank holiday weekend, if it's going to be sunny, you need to make sure you've got all those perishable barbecue goods on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas if it's going to be a miserable weekend, obviously you don't want any of that. Yeah. So, um, and, th- and that was back at, back in um, early 2000, where, way before predictive analytics was cool and, um, Way before AI and machine learning were all kind of there, we, we were doing those kind of predictive analytics with weather. Um, then I um, then I moved to Bristol and, um, and moved into financial services. It was a bit, a bit of a shock, a bit of a change from public sector <laughs> weather, um, weather organization, but worked um, at AXA and ComputerShare for a number of years in, um, in marketing roles, but, uh, but often kind of working on kind of data-led projects and data-driven projects in that kind of field. And then three and a half years ago, I set up Data Cubed, and we're we're a data agency. So, and we help businesses to really get all their data into one place, make sense of it, and be able to use it to make smarter, quicker, data-driven business decisions that can ultimately help them make and save more money. I find it absolutely fascinating that seemingly, I mean, talking about your time at the Met Office, that was what mid two thousands, early two thousands. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah. And you're talking about, you know, 
predictive analytics from a weather standpoint and selling that data to supermarkets, which um, both of those topics around, you know, creating a, an asset of your data, which, you know, I'm not, not fond of the term, but, you know, creating a data asset and being able to sell it. And obviously predictive analytics are two trending, for want of a better word, topics still now which Mm. is which I find very interesting okay fair enough so um you touched on that kind of what you guys do give us a bit of insight into your kind of role day to day and what what that entails at the moment yeah so um so we work with uh, all different types of businesses but often often SMEs so often businesses that are between maybe 50 and 200 employees uh kind of you know 10 million plus kind of turnover and, and the types of businesses that are often high growth, um, le- leading their markets, the type of innovators, um, kind of early adopters, and therefore it's the type of people who are who are recognizing how valuable data is. But those are the types of people that we work with. You know, it tends to be the, those types of high growth, ambitious businesses who know that data is going to help them. Um, it's the type of businesses that across all different sectors, B two B, B two C. We work with taxi businesses through to retailers, through to financial services, um, through to energy providers, all sorts of different um, different kind of sectors. But pretty much everything, the thing they have in common is they have disparate, disconnected data that is giving them headaches in some way. And, um, and the reason being is that, you know, what, what happens in many of these SME businesses and indeed in all businesses is that you start collecting islands of data really quickly. You know, even when you're a startup, you, you get your Google Analytics, you've got your financial database, you've got some kind of CRM, and you've got somewhere that you do your email marketing from, and then you know, you've got a ton of spreadsheets doing all different things. You know, it's really easy to collect tons and tons of data, all in different formats. The bigger, bigger your organization, the more, the more kind of islands of data you've got. And, um, and therefore, you end up with this problem where there's no single source of truth. And, and, and people in the business are going, you know, I don't, don't know how many customers we've got. I don't know whether we've got a retention problem. Um, I don't know what our sales conversion rates are, right? All, all those things that really should, you know, I think we all think I should know that. I should, those, these are really obvious things that I should know. And yet, it's, it's, every business struggles with that because of this combining data from disparate, disconnected sources is a real big challenge. So that's the type of thing we help with. Um, so that can be setting up a, or reviewing data architectures and making sure that, that we've got the, they've got the right data tech stack in there um, and they're using the right kind of cloud-based solutions. It can be creating dashboards and automated reports so they can see everything in one place. It can be productizing their data and creating potentially new tools they can give to their customers and potentially charge an additional fee for. Um, and also it can go into kind of data transformation, training, culture change, those types of things as well. You know, the, the technology is often the start and then it's the, the kind of business change and culture change that actually ends up being the biggest kind of challenge. So pretty much a one-stop data shop. That's what we do. Right. Very interesting. Um, and again, I find it fascinating. So this whole concept of a single source of truth, then as you you quite rightly said, you know, the bigger, more complex the business, the more data, the more sources of data they've got, the more avenues they're collecting data from, and the more owners of data they've got, and, and, and so so forth and and so on. I guess before we start to try and shape and kind of highlight 
the how of how you try to get to that point of, you know, having a single source of, of truth. What I think could be very useful is what's the, the kind of key metric for a business in terms of why, why they, why they want that. I think because without it, it's really, really hard. You know, business is hard. Um, as, as I say, you know, um, it, you need to understand how many customers you've got. Um, you, you need to understand where where business is going well and where it's not going well, um, you, because otherwise you'll you'll try and fix everything rather than focusing on the problem areas and trying to sort those out. You'll end up trying to do everything, and of course we can't all do everything. So it, it's really around you know understanding your customer metrics, your financial metrics, your sales, your marketing. Um, being able to understand those so that business leaders can make sensible decisions on where they put their efforts, because no matter what size your business is, you have limited resources. And there's always far too much to do than there's time in the day for all of your resources and your team. Mm -hmm. So you have to prioritize. That's a, you know, Mm -hmm. every business needs to prioritize. And, And without data, it's really hard to know whether you're prioritizing the right things in the right places. Um, and, and you can probably get away with it when you, when you're a startup, you can probably get away with it because maybe you've got a handful of people all all in the same room. Therefore your, your intuition is probably really sound, but you get to a point where you're too big, you know, and you've got too many people, there's too many moving parts. There's too many different, um, data sources. Um, you've got too many products or whatever it might be, too many campaigns going on. And, and you need that kind of source of data in one place. Um, or, or certainly a single single view of your data. Your data can remain in separate places, but a single view, so that you know, okay, what what is our what is our lifetime value of our customers? What is our return on investment when we when we're spe- invest, when we're doing sales and marketing activity? What is our cost per acquisition? What is our retention rate? You know, all of those things you you need to understand in order to know, okay, that we we really need to focus on this area. Otherwise, it will just be scattergun, and yep. um, and there's only so long you can have a scattergun approach before before everyone everyone breaks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I kind of realised as I finished asking the question that it, it might have sounded a stupid question, but um, yeah. you know it's obvious as to why a business would would want a single view of of their their truth and and, and their data. But uh, effectively, what you're kind of saying is. It's it's merely from a visibility perspective, you know, that it gives them a single source yeah. of where their business is at. They can see what's working, what might not be, and, and and allow them to prioritize based solely on that view. Okay. And that makes that yeah, makes exactly. perfect sense. So I guess yeah. before we jump into how you kind of help your customers go on that journey and kind of get to that single source of truth, I guess the question that's jumping around in my mind is why do so many organizations struggle? with this yeah um and i and i think the answer is because every single business has these disparate disconnected data sources every single business you know there, there are there are there are none i would suggest to you and unless you get we get some kind of people writing in going we, we only have one source um but i would suggest no business has a single a single data source right mm. um and you know as i say i think that's because you know it's a really common journey that we go on you know, being being a kind of, I started this business, and you you start out with nothing, but you quickly then get your you get a website, so you get data analytics. You 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 want to start doing sales activities, so you get some kind of CRM or sales pipeline. You want to do emails, so you get an email tool. 
of course you want to get paid. So you need somewhere to track <laughs> your kind of in- invoicing and, and payments. Um, and then it just grows and grows. You know, you're, if you're an e-commerce business, you need to be tracking things on Shopify and things like that. So it, it just grows and grows and grows. And, and it's a really, really common problem. And, and the reason I think they struggle with it is because, um, you know, most businesses are not, you know, they're not, they're not set up to be data businesses, right? They're set up to be a retailer or um, a financial services provider or, you know, a technology business or whatever it might be. They're, they're not, they're not data, data experts. And that, that isn't their job. You know, they're, they, they're experts in, in their particular kind of focus area. Um, so therefore, you end up with the people in-house not having the right skills. You know, so you've got people who potentially are comfortable with Excel, um, but Excel only gets you so far. So you then go, well, I need some developers. I need people who can code. I need people who can tell me which cloud storage solution is the right one for us, you know. Um, so and and you either recruit those people um, or you or you outsource to businesses like us. And and what we find is the, the businesses who work with us are the ones who go, do you know, I don't I don't need a full time data architect or a full time data but I, I want I want those people on demand. Um, so that's the type of thing we help with. And, you know, what we'd say to those businesses, you, you're right not to have recruited those skills in. You don't need them yet. You know, you're not you're not big enough, but mm-hmm. that's where we can help you before you get to kind of enterprise and corporate level. Yeah, yeah. So, so really, really, really common problem. I think the other thing I'd say is we go through a really, um, a really kind of funny curve when we start working with people. You know, the first meeting, you know, they they might hint at their data not being good, um, but and then by the second or third or fourth meeting, it's almost like a confessional where they're saying to me, "Hells, our our data is the worst you will have ever seen in any business ever. It's a disaster. It's awful. It's you know, it's absolutely horrendous. I'm mortified. I'm you know, I'm embarrassed. You're you're gonna you know, they feel like they're exposing their problems to us. Um, and every single time they say this. Um, and every single time we we tell them it's it's no worse than the other businesses we work with, you know. <laughs> so I think there's um there's that kind of you know uh, kind of view internally of, of frustration. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I guess moving into I guess that pathway then and the journey that you take organisations on. Um, how, how how do you go about that? What what's the process that you kind of outline and, and work with your you know your customers on in terms of getting to that single source view at least? Yeah, absolutely. So we, so we use a a process that involves kind of discovery and then design before a kind of build. So in in discovery, we we start with the business requirements for the, for the organisation. So we look at how do they make money today. How do they how do they track success today? You know, what's their business model? You know, are they are they B2C? Are they B2B? Um, are they a subscription business? Are they a project business? You know, understanding how they make money and therefore, you know, what levers they can pull as a business is 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 our kind of starting point because everything data should come second. You know, data should be the enabler to the business. It shouldn't drive the business. So we start with those business requirements first. Then we look at the, the data sources they've got and look at, okay, what, what data sources have you got across, across your kind of financial systems, your customer systems, your operations, your call center, your marketing, your sales, et cetera. We do, we do a kind of audit with them and look at their different data sources and how big they are and where they're stored and all those types of things. And um, 
And, and the reason we do that is because we, we then match those requirements to those data sources because you don't necessarily need to see all data in one place. You know, you, you probably just need to see some of it. So, so what you can do is, is have your different data sources, but just extract the data that you actually need to fulfill your data requirement, your business requirements, rather than trying to extract all data, absolutely drowning in the stuff, feeling overwhelming and you not knowing where to kind of go from there. So we do that process of the business requirements and then the data source review. And then we then we design the right architecture for the business um, because businesses are different. And, you know, um, even simplistically, you have big businesses and small businesses. Um, and you equally have businesses that have got big data that, you know, potentially where they're collecting data every second. Um, if you've got some kind of really high volume kind of um, business model versus businesses that might have, you know, annual annual kind of in, invoicing or something kind of a lot smaller data. So we, we then kind of design the right solution for the business so that it's um, appropriate for them. Um, we're, we're technology agnostic as a business. So we'll also be looking at, okay, what have they got already that we can build on rather than ditching what they've already got? You know, it's always sensible to start with what you've got. It might be the right thing to change it, but it might be the right thing to keep it. So we, we kind of keep that open mind about the right data architecture rather than applying a cookie cutter approach and always saying they need a certain technology. Mm -hmm. um, so we then design that data architecture, work out what tools and solutions they recommend, cost that all up, both in terms of setup and ongoing fees, um, outline any limitations, any, pro, any pros and cons, those types of things. And therefore that business has got um, a solution to look at. You know, they've got, they've, got, they've got a plan, they know how much it will cost, they know how long it will take, they, they, they'll know the pros and cons, and they can make that decision on going into then build. Um, and then after that, we build, we test, we launch, we train. You know, it's kind of that kind of process after that. But really starting with that discovery and design process is really key. Otherwise, you're in, you, you're in danger of just, you know, picking up the latest technology and trying to apply it. Yeah, absolutely. How, out of, I guess, pure morbid curiosity, how, how many times do you, do you find that it's necessary for a business to, to kind of go through that entire change from an architectural standpoint to get them to the place that they need to be? Um, so the types of projects we work on um, with, with SMEs, they're, they're not massive, you know, year, two year projects. You know, they take, they take weeks, right? Most of the time we're talking about you know, weeks, you know, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks to set up. Um, sometimes it is bigger than that. And it can be kind of a, you know, 12 month kind of um, evolution project, but it, it doesn't always have to be, you know, it, it, it depends on how, you know, on where they are now and, and, and what the right solution is, but it doesn't have to be an all encompassing um, massive project. Um, also what we, what we often do is split things down into phases, you know, so that you don't have to do everything at once. Okay, let's let's focus on this part of the business first. Let's focus on um, these data sources first, or these business business requirements first, and have that phased approach so it feels um, like it's evolving and improving rather than being a big hit. Um, that's a really common approach, and we find that's really good to get buy-in and engagement within a business by doing it in that part in that phased approach. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was I was just going to suggest, I imagine you know if you're if you go in and go through that whole 
discovery and design process with them and and you know especially if they're a bigger more complex business and you know your your guidance might be well actually you know there might be a better architecture to do you know to, to get you to where you want to be but ultimately you know I, I guess just from experience so that that may be a case of oh, well we'd love to do it but that's it's a big, it's a big step change, and you know, is now the right time, and the investment, and and so on and so forth. So I was just curious as to, as to see, you know, is it, is it often that that whole architectural change ends up happening, or, or not? So um, it it it, re- it really varies, and you know, and and sometimes we've worked with businesses, and they've said, look, we just want a quick win. You know, we we don't mind if it's not a, not a beautiful solution or if it's still a little bit manual we just want some quick wins can you help us um and then with that we're like yeah great we can get this up and running for you within within um you know days or weeks um and we we help them with that objective um and and so, sometimes it's a you know we're we're, we're growing you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna be be 10 times the size in five years so we want to do this properly and it's well worth the investment so we want best practice and, yeah. and we know it's going to be painful, but it's better we do it now because we're only going to have more data in future. Yeah. So, um, so the problem's only going to get worse if you know what I mean. So, yeah. um, so it depends on, depends on the business requirements, depends on where they are, um, in their business journey. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Um, I guess moving into the space of, you know, you've gone through that process and you've developed something for, for this, these businesses that gives them a, a screenshot of that, you know, single version of, of their truth. Does it become um, kind of, you know, commonplace where you're getting executives that, you know, the, the, the trust element around, around is, you know, is this the right version of the truth? Cause I imagine, you know, just obviously from being in the industry, I, I kind of know how these people think and, and operate. And um, I can only imagine the types of questions that, uh, that you get asked, but is that something that you kind of see and how, how do you kind of overcome that and make sure that they kind of, you know, bought into the fact that this is the, their version of the truth? Yeah, absolutely. You raise a really good point. And and I think, you know, that you could create the most beautiful looking dashboard or, or report. But if it's if if the numbers don't make sense to the execs, you've lost them instantly. Right. If, if the numbers are wrong, um, you know, it's a bit like if you see a typo on something, you don't trust it. Right. Yeah. So um, so exactly the same. If the numbers are wrong, you know, forget it. So I think, you know, there's um there's there's a process that, you know, trust comes with with time and with proof. And um, then uh, so you need execs to be seeing the, the right numbers. You, we, you need to have been reassured and tested that you've got those right numbers. Um, part of seeing the right numbers, often we find a common problem within businesses isn't that the numbers are wrong sometimes, but there's inconsistent metrics being used. So one part of the business is reporting on revenue. One part is talking about income. One, one, you know, and, they, and maybe they're, they're, they're actually not comparing apples with apples because of the metrics they've created um, and they're you they're you know doing things in different ways so there's a there's a, a real key piece of work that we do with businesses which is around let's define your your metrics with the same methodology every single time um, and you might you might have a you know a, a business level view of say um conversion rates is a really common one right people have different conversion rates and they're all talking about different things but if you go right we've got we've got a got a sales conversion rate here we've got a marketing conversion rate there this is the methodology no matter what part of the business you're working in 
this 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 definition applies to that metric no matter what you know um so there's a methodology kind of part to it um and and it's re- it's really it comes with time you know and um and and getting used to seeing the numbers and i and i think probably another another part of this is we find sometimes there's a there's a fear that comes with data that um you see, we often see some stakeholders who, who feel who feel like they're going to get found out you know maybe maybe they could have hidden things before potentially maybe not even intentionally but um but maybe feel exposed you know that okay well i normally take the numbers to the board meeting right and and i normally mm-hmm. take them and i'm there in, therefore in control of it whereas with this automated dashboard my 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 chief exec can look at our sales numbers at the click of a button on any day now right and i'm going i'm going to get calls from from them so um so i think there's a it's it's trust in the numbers but also trust in the way that the numbers are going to be used by an organization is um it gets exposed as well in here but yeah it's just just takes time and uh, you know double checking triple checking the numbers yeah i mean that's that's really interesting because i think obviously a lot of a lot of what gets said now across the industry and discussions that that get had are very much around how you know businesses can use their data to provide insights to to allow a business to take action right and and often mm-hmm. it's that end bit getting that to marry up with the the insights that's um that, that that's been provided so i guess from from your experience then has there been any kind of major wins that that you've kind of seen and experienced in terms of you know because the, these businesses are going through this to make their lives easier make that single version of the truth an accurate reflection of their business that is going to give them some insight now what they do with that is a whole different gambit altogether mm-hmm. but um do, do you see that the businesses that go on that journey, there's any kind of correlation between getting, you know, getting that insight and then actually making decisions off the back of it? Absolutely. I think um, the, the, the great, the, the, the really exciting thing that we found is, is when we have helped a business get a, get a single view of their, say, customer or their business, and, and we've told them something about their business that they didn't know. You know, there's, it, that's so lovely, right? To tell them something that through data they didn't know, and and sometimes that is um, just telling them a factual figure that they didn't know, and and that's you know, did did, did you know your customer volumes have, have gone up by X percent, or or did you know that you know um, your eighty percent of your business is actually coming from these five customers, or whatever it might be, but telling them a fact about their business that they don't know is is really exciting. Um, the other part of it is um, proving and disproving urban myths. Um, so of, often you find within a business there's um, there's facts um, that have been quoted across the business forever, right? You know, that we target this segment of customer. Um, you know, that's a really common one, actually. Th- these types of customers are our, of our high-value customers. You know, I've had that this quite a few times. You know, we're targeting this group. You know, it might be students or it might be high net worth clients or whatever it might be. But that that's that those are the people who bring us loads of money hells, right? And then we do the analysis and and maybe and that's not the case. And that and that that's a fascinating journey to help them go on, where you know, and it's a little bit like going through a change curve. You know, at first there's a bit of denial, are you sure? I'm not sure those numbers are right, you know. Um, and then there's this acceptance, oh, okay, and then the opportunity where they go. Wow! Now we can see who are 
high value customers are or who are the ones that are giving us the most complaints and the least money, you know, whatever it kind of combination it would be, they, it then empowers them. And, it, and it's lovely to see them go through that journey of being, feeling empowered by the data because they then they, they've got the stats and the evidence and the numbers that reassures them that they're going to, they can now implement the right tactics for, for that kind of, that kind of priority customer group or whatever it might be. Um, so, so that's a real joy and, um, and that's the process we like, you know, it's, it's always a bit underwhelming if you tell, tell a business what they already know. <laughs> it's not, it's nice to be able to, um, you know, tell them something new, um, or, or prove or disprove an urban myth or a, a kind of business legend, um, and, and give them more insight as a result. Yeah. Do, do you find that that kind of happens when through through kind of the the combination of different data sources? Because uh, I, I imagine, you know, yeah. execs might be looking at things, right? And they, they've, you know, no, no doubt, like everyone in whatever job they have, that they have their, they have their source, you know, the thing that they, they use the most. And, and I imagine it's no different in, you know, around boardrooms, Um when looking at data and certain metrics, um, but do you find that it gets to that point when you know you've okay, you've got sources from your CRM and this database, your financial records, and once you bring all that together, it creates something that looks wholly different to what they they can see or have been able to see before. Is that is that a fair kind of reflection? Yeah, I, th- I think I think so. You know, often that combining your customer data with your finance data is a really key thing because normally you find your finance team only know, know the numbers. And, and your sales and marketing and customer teams only know the customers and therefore you don't actually know which customers are bringing in the most value. So you might have very low value customers that are demanding tons of customer service and therefore you know, potentially loss making. And you might have very um, high paying customers not taking anything from you, being very easy to serve um, that are very high value. So combining customer and finance data is a really key one. Um, another one is combining, say, sales and marketing data, because marketing teams just look at their response rates and, and sales just look at their kind of final results. So looking at sales and marketing conversion rates is a really key one. Um, so, yeah, it's often those combining things together. I think equally, you know, with, with the, the example I gave before about urban myths and um, hypotheses, untested hypotheses, it, it was just because they, they'd never seen the data. So they'd therefore had, had taken it from, you know, Joe uh, Bloggs um, and, and what they'd said about their experience. And, and perhaps it was true 10 years ago when they were smaller, you know, um, perhaps it, you know, it was true at one point, but because they've never had the data to test it, um, they'd never known. So they just made assumptions, you know, we, and, we, and that's probably the most common one. And, and, and sometimes when they've said this to us, you know, we're targeting this type of segment or this type of, this type of customer is our highest value. And then when we've looked at the data and we've gone, well, how, how, can, how can, where can we see which types of customers are high net worth or students? And they, and they can't tell you. So they're targeting customers that they're not actually tracking which customers are hmm. those types of segments. So, um, so I think sometimes it's just, you know, with you know it's like that it's a bit like a vacuum isn't it so um you know without without any numbers you 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 make assumptions don't you because you've got to in order to do your job so that i think that's the most common thing one one absolutely combining data but two just being able to see data um mm. rather than not going blind yeah 
no, that that makes um, that makes perfect sense. So I guess something that's kind of intrigued me, and you touched on it before, you know, especially at the at the higher level of with execs, kind of maybe feeling exposed or nervous about you know what this process might bring up. Um, what does it take from the business um, to kind of get the the biggest value and benefit from this? And I'm not you know I'm not necessarily kind of referring to you know, they need to have this architecture or certain tools or certain processes, but more more from an attitude perspective, I, I guess, because um, I imagine throughout your time, you've probably seen and done this a whole host of times and saw varying results based yeah. on varying attitudes towards the the, the change that, that might be required around it. So, um, you know, where have been the biggest success stories from from that? Yeah, so um, the, the biggest success stories are where there is senior, the most senior level engagement. So whether that's chief exec or MD or board level, um, but I, I would say that's a must have because the thing about data projects is they, they cut across all departments. They're cross-functional. And therefore, you, you have to break down those silos. So you, you can't do it by department. I mean, you can, you could do a marketing data by it by in the marketing department, you could. But in order to do this properly, you need to look across all teams, across all functions. So you need to break down those silos. So it needs everyone to be engaged or to be told to be engaged, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. So the, the, the best example is where you have that absolute senior level support otherwise when you don't have that um trying to sell this up is really key so i would pretty much say in all the organizations we've worked with um where we've had the most success is where you've got um uh, the highest leader gets data and understands it want understands how it valuable it can be and therefore is an advocate for the data project that that's that's where it works really well when it when it doesn't, it can be really tough. Yeah, and I imagine that that kind of positive attitude towards the the process of change and understanding what's going on within the business from a data standpoint, you know, means more investment, not just from a monetary perspective, but time, and probably ultimately provides greater results. I presume. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair and enough. Then you- then you can get those benefits because that the other thing about these data sources is um, they are often owned, you know, the bigger organization, the more departments you have. And then you've got this siloed ownership of data. So the finance team owns the finance database, the, the operations team owns the CRM, the, the sales team owns, owns the kind of, you know, lead gen and pipeline. And, and therefore, if you're going to look at customer lifetime value or ROI or cost per acquisition, you, you need to work with all of those departments. You, you can't do it on its own. In a startup, you probably could, right? You could you could yeah. do it. It's probably one person looking after everything, undoubtedly. Um, but the bigger the organization, you absolutely have to have all those people working together, which, uh, you know, having worked client side, having worked in big organizations myself, um, that, you know, that's that's always the challenge, breaking down silos. So that's no, no mean feat. No, absolutely. Have you have you kind of gone in and, and helped an organization that has a, a centralized data and analytics capability? Because I know, again, that's that's something that a lot of businesses and data leaders are trying to get to the point of where they have a centralized view and ownership of that data and kind of you know, almost uh, rent it back to the, to the silo, if you will. I imagine that would make your life 
far easier um yeah have you, have you been in that environment before where there's a centralized function and, and has that made it easier or or is, is that one of the urban myths um so so in most smes they are lucky if they have a data role of, yeah. of any type <laughs> okay. right one, one data analyst right? right um you know or one or two people i, I would say that's that, that that's kind of lucky and therefore the challenge for for that kind of person is data much like any kind of discipline is is really kind of wide ranging so um so on on projects that we do we'll always have a good kind of four or five people potentially involved um not all the time but more you flex them up and down because you'll need a data architect to decide what your data architecture should be you know a data consultant to understand the business requirements a dashboard developer um a data scientist maybe um and what else might there be a, a kind of you know a data analyst kind of do those stats and the modeling so that's kind of five people there now very rarely if ever let's say never do you get one person who's good at all those five skills yeah so it's so when you get one person in house even two they'll have a natural inclination towards some of those right they might be more of an architect than a dashboard developer more of a data scientist than a um, data transformation person so so in those small teams, we often work with those types of small teams um, in terms of um, supporting them on demand with, with kind of experts when they need it. Because oh, take a data scientist, most, most business don't most businesses don't need data scientists full time. They might need the odd, the odd model, the odd predictive forecast, but they don't need someone 24-7 kind of you know building predictive models, most businesses. So you don't need a data scientist full time most of the time. Um, so that's kind of SMEs. Well, in 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 larger organisations, more kind of corporates and enterprises, as you say, there are centralised data teams. Um, that brings advantages in that you've got a team to work with. Normally, you know, pretty skilled people. Um, the the challenges there though is one, they tend to be so consumed with BAU reporting that they're absolutely inundated with all the reports they're producing. So to to be able to kind of stand back is quite tricky for them. And and secondly, what you often get in in larger organisations is a bigger disconnect between your your techie people and your business people. And and they they often don't talk brilliantly well to each other, right? In that they, um, you've got your techie people who understand the tech, you've got your business people who understand sales and marketing, and um, and they can't they find it hard to cross that divide. And and I talk sometimes about how my role is like a data translator. So to translate, you know, that that tech those tech requirements into something that's going to add value to the business, you know, yeah. otherwise why why do it if it's just techie? Forget it. That's that's not useful. If it adds value to the business, it's useful. And similarly, making sure that the the business side um, have thought through what they're asking for. And and that it actually exists. You know, they they might be asking for certain metrics, but the data doesn't actually exist. For instance, so um, that data translation role is a key one that I think becomes re- even more apparent in businesses where you have centralized data teams. Um, that that kind of divide across the business, you know, that silos. You know, that okay, I guess that's the, the kind of side of it. So they've both got pros and cons. Yeah, absolutely, of course. Okay, fair enough. So I guess if they're kind of business leaders and execs out there that are looking to maybe, you know, go on that journey and understand what their single source of truth looks like. Obviously, outside of you getting in that room with them and kind of thrashing out that discovery piece and designing what that might look like, 
is there is there a starting point that you kind of advise people to to kind of think about you know is there something i would go and have a have a look at this and you know then i can come in and advise you know is 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 there anything along those lines that you might be able to share with the audience yeah, I mean, you know, a blatant plug, but um, but I've just released uh, my first ever book written during lockdown um, called The Data Escalator. And that's designed for um, non-data experts, but but business leaders, entrepreneurs, those types of people, as you say, kind of executives. Um, in, in terms of the process, it's, it's got eight steps to break down the way that you could um, derive value from data within your organization. Um, so I definitely recommend that, obviously. <laughs> um, but I think um, at the start of that book, um, and it's I've echoed it through through this chat, is that starting with those business requirements. You know, what actually, what actually are you trying to achieve? You know, what, what's your, what's your business goal? Um, what 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 are your business priorities? Um, and and just get get started with one project. You know, I'm a big fan of like pilots or proof of concepts or whatever you want to call them. But start with one project and start with, um, you know, maybe it's your burning issue at the moment. Maybe it's your, you know, latest new new, new idea or new product. Um, but start with one part of your business. Um, look, at the, look at the business requirements for that one area. Maybe it's one location, one product, one department. And, um, and, and start there and build a proof of concept. Time, time box yourself. You know, so I've, when I've done this um, quite a few times, we've time boxed it in four weeks, maybe, maybe six weeks, but really force everyone to go, we're going to do this proof, proof of concept in weeks. You know, we're going to take one problem. We're going to explore the business requirements. We're going to get some data together. We're going to create a dashboard or report at the back end. And we're going to have something that um, that is a proof of concept that we can share internally that can, that can validate that there's some value here or not, right? You know, yeah. um, so I'd, I'd recommend start with one project and um, and see how much of an impact you can make. I think that's that's a really good way to kind of um, limit your costs as well by going, okay, I'm, I'm only gonna I'm only gonna spend four weeks on this. Let's see how we go. It will highlight where your gaps are, the the kind of your your skills and experience and knowledge gaps. Um, it you know best case you have something that comes out the end that it inspires and excites people, that, and that, and everyone goes, I want I want one of them. Right, and you you get that kind of engagement across the business, um, and and it's a great kind of learning opportunity. So that that would be that would be my advice: start with a pilot project, proof of concept, start with one problem area, one opportunity, and and get that done um, in a in a really time boxed um, kind of time period, and then then think about a wider data strategy. And that's the way I've done it um, in organizations. And it's worked really well to get people engaged, get build trust. Um, and as I say, I identify what your what your challenges and opportunities will be. Nice. Okay. So second to last question then, I guess. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if execs are looking at doing this and they're trying to think of this from a business first perspective okay what are our objectives um what direction are we going in as a business and then how can we piece all this back to to kind of add value to to our business objectives and strategy how how often does it kind of come to light that once they actually go through that process and get to the single view of their truth that they go okay that direction might not be the right direction now because i thought we were here but we're actually here um, if that makes sense, um, 
Often not at a high level. So if, if, if at a high level, their business priorities are either acquisition, conversion or retention, you know, being really simple about kind of business objectives. Um, at a high level, they, they normally have one of those priorities, right? They're, they're all about growth or they're all, all about retention or whatever it might be. R- rarely does the data suggest they change at that level, right? But beneath that, um, you know, so, you know, that, um, they, that they thought they were, um, the plan was to acquire customers that looked like this. And then we look at the data and we look at, you know, the customer lifetime value and cost per acquisition. And we say, actually, these types of people are a much smarter audience for you to target because they're cheaper to acquire. They've got higher lifetime value. They complain less, whatever it might be, right? That, that often is the case, that, they, that they're, the strategy beneath that high-level objective gets smarter and more focused and, um, and, and gets rid of some of those or, or tests those hypotheses um, that they might have at a, a kind of sub-level. So that's not that often is what happens with the data. The, the da- data informs the how rather than the what. So if the what is acquire, retain, convert, how are we going to acquire, retain, and convert? That's the bit where data yeah, um, often changes the story, changes the, the sales and marketing plans, changes the communications, changing that changes the tactics deployed, changes where you when you spend your budget, changes the resources you recruit. You know that that's often the case. Um, driven by data yeah okay so so it's very rarely that the objective change it's just the, the the direction to get to that objective might be slightly different okay fair enough fine yeah, absolutely so i guess I mean, to- we, do, we do i mean just to add to that you know we do have some businesses that um have said look we don't we don't know whether retention's a problem so therefore it's not an objective but that's because we don't know that it's a problem you know so some, sometimes it informs at the top level uh, but yeah, mostly it's around informing tactics and uh, rather than strategy. Yeah. Okay. Makes absolute sense. Okay. Um, so just to kind of round off then, Helen, if there's businesses out there, execs, business leaders that are trying to get to the single version of their truth um, outside of buying your book, which I'm sure is available on all popular sites, um, such as Amazon. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. How, how, how is the best way for people to kind of get hold of you and maybe start that discussion with you? Um, at, uh, just connect with me on LinkedIn. So, um, so Helen Tanner, I'm pretty prolific on LinkedIn. Connect with me, drop drop me a direct direct message, and um, and we can we can arrange a chat. And um, always happy to have a no obligation chat over a virtual cuppa with people around data. So um, so drop drop me a line, and, and we can we can see if I can give you some pointers or share some experiences that are relevant to you. Nice, Helen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on and sharing, and um, we'll speak to you very soon. Thank you ever so much for the time. It's great. Thank you. Perfect. All right. Cheers, Helen. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.